It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at chabacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is a Heart and Hand production. Mother dear, I'm writing you from somewhere in France. Hoping this finds you well. Sergeant says I'm doing fine, a soldier and a half. Here's a song that we'll all sing, it'll make you laugh. We're gonna hang out the washing on the Siegfried line. Have you any dirty washing, mother dear? We're gonna hang out the washing on the Siegfried line, cause the washing day is here. Hello, and welcome to the War Years. This series of podcasts will look at Rangers' Southern League campaigns, which took place during the Second World War between 1939 and 1945. Trophies and records are not recognised as being official during this time, nor do scorelines, when it suits, of course. But this is an era where Rangers would be very successful in a period of time that both myself, James Forrest, and two of my colleagues are keen to explore, both in terms of Rangers during this time and also the wider world. And it is my pleasure to introduce you to my comrades on this series. First up, our man who will give us all the information we need on players and featured matches, Mr Ian Hogg. Good evening, mate. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, as you know, this is a period, or, or just, just the olden days, which could be anything prior to 1990 for you guys, um, is 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 a whole period really close to my heart because I'm I'm a big big believer in the history of Rangers is something that should be told. Um, the war years is an amazing period to research Rangers, um, from players to guest players to score lines to um, to goals being counted when it suits other teams. Um, and to the remarkable success that we had, despite players being away on active duty. So, um, I uh, yeah, thank you very, very much for this opportunity. It's my absolute pleasure, Hoggy. And also joining us, our man, to look at what was happening during this period. Uh, from a Rangers point of view, and also looking 
in some essence at what was going on out with Rangers at this time as well. We have from our Ibrox home, Mr Ian McLennan. Good evening, James, and good evening, Ian. Thank you both very much for having me on. The Martin Geisler of Heart and Hand is here to uh, help join in this uh, project proudly. Happy to be with you both. Looking forward to getting stuck in and seeing what we can come up with. Absolutely right. Now, as uh, you've noticed already, I have the issue of doing a podcast with two Ians. Therefore, Ian Hogg shall henceforth be known as Hoggy. So, Ian, it's it's an interesting period in, in the sense that it's this gap where no one really knows a great deal about and you know you you see on the in the trophy room you've got rather than scottish first division title winners it's southern league in this sudden change had you known much if anything about this period of time before i i came to you with the idea of possibly doing a podcast like this you know, the only thing that I really knew about this period was that um, some stats are allowed to be included. Some goals are allowed to be included in official records from some clubs and not of others. And that we would win uh, nine in a row during this period. However, as you said, it wasn't the first division as, as we would recognise it now. So we it's a period, maybe a dark period, something certainly that... Um, because of the breakup of the league and the teams and players going off to play with different um, different areas, it makes a really interesting period to, to follow the, the the paths of some of the kind of profile players that we had at the time, some of the teams as well that you would would fall and rise with varying levels of uh, success and prominence. And yeah, it's not an area that I knew too much about, but looking into it in detail, it's it's going to be a really good fun journey, I think, and I think it's uh, certainly something that. Uh, an area and an era that we should be really pleased to be giving a little bit more light on. Now, it's it's worth pointing out that what we're not going to be doing in this series is giving a history of World War Two. There's plenty of other you know, podcasts or documentaries that, that cover all of that in great, great depth. But what we are looking at specifically is what was happening with Rangers and the type of league that we would suddenly be playing in at this point the kind of <sighs> opponents the competitions what they were like and also what was going on at ibrox and the surrounding areas during this point as well um but hockey going into this 1939-1940 season who were some of the the star players that that we had the ones that were they able to fans would be getting their name and number on the back of their shirt. So, as as we were the champions of Scotland, you know, the first games after the war was declared, so a, a number of regular Rangers missing due to signing up for service, either locally or for tour, tour duty abroad, and, and a lot of them stayed in day jobs as draftsmen and munitions and shipyards, etc., and that was the same for the vast majority of major football clubs around the UK. And as time went on, the authorities, frankly, understood the importance of football to the to the mood of the nation. So we 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 missed a couple, two or three players. In fact, more than that, through this first season, the likes of Scott Simon and Chris McNee disappeared early, but they would come back to play the majority of the season. Defenders Bobby Bolt, brilliantly named, Thomas Gilmore, Jimmy Smith, that I think will probably 
profile and depth in a further show. George Brown, Jimmy Simpson, they all miss huge chunks of the season. Um, and as the as the season progressed, however, that rump of players that you talked about 19, from the 1938-39 season, much in the same way as Celtic would have a similar rump of players um, with massively contrasting fortunes that will come on to, and Celtic fans like to wax lyrical about how they lost all their players. Frankly, it is not true. Key players for, for Rangers from that era would be goalkeeper Jerry Dawson. He'd been with Rangers for 10 years, um, and, and he would be an almost ever-present this season. Dougie Gray was covered in, in some depth, and I'll blow on trumpet, James, on our Rangers player. Please go back and look at it. Tiger Jock Shaw, who was only 26, but he'd been the captain of Rangers for a year. He would go on and captain Rangers until 1950, which is actually at this point, 39 is beyond belief. Um, Willie Woodburn would be in there, future managers that I mentioned already, Scott Simon, but also Willie Waddle. And the major goal threats were Willie Thornton and Alex Venters. And of course, when they returned from active service, Chris McNee and Jimmy Smith. This was um, this was a maturing Rangers side, James, and a side that when they clicked and when you got the spine consistently there, they would start to sweep teams aside. We, we, they, they hadn't seen it the season before. The season before, there had been one or two injuries and some key players missing, etc. And as I say, we lost a lot of players throughout the course of the season, just not for full periods, if you like. Um, much in the same way as all the other clubs, including Celtic, did. And we will come on to Celtic's fortunes. But Rangers had a rump of players that that were there, that I've mentioned, that effectively uh, Bill Struth built the side around for this 39-40 uh, season. And um, I, I, and it was, it was a real top season for us. What I will say is, as we go through these seasons... We'll also make mention of guest players that the footballing authorities through the whole of the UK recognised as time wore on how important, as I've mentioned, football was to the nation in what were some very, very dark times. And therefore, they allowed guest players. So in other words, players who were contracted to other teams could be loaned out for certain games. So... In this season, you'll hear us talk about Jimmy Caskey of, Ed- uh, of of Everton, who would guest for St Mirren, for Rangers, for Hibs during the war. He would eventually sign for Rangers in 1945. You might hear about him in our Rangers player very soon. Uh, you would, you'll hear about a guy called Sir Stanley Matthews. And also guys like Bob McPhail, age 36, getting final runouts for Rangers. So some key names of the past, some iconic names of the past, James. You know, think Dougie Gray, think Jock Shaw, Willie Woodburn, Willie Waddle, Scott Simon, Alec Venters. These are guys of absolute legend at our club. And, and I think to disregard what they did during the war is is to simply not do them justice. Absolutely right. Ian, one man that wasn't mentioned there by, by Hoggy uh, was our manager at this point, who is, of course, none other than Sir Bill Struth. He's going into his 19th season as manager already, and he's about halfway through 
his tenure as Rangers boss. I think, given the modern day and given how we're just not used to anything like that, you know, the even now the idea of a Sir Alex Ferguson is starting to feel a little bit in the past. It just shows you, even by this point, how much of a an important figure Bill Struth is for Rangers. And I guess he'll prove to be an important figure throughout this period of time as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's men like Bill Struth that built our club to have the length of tenure that he had and the influence that he had across all aspects of the club, not just on the pitch, but in terms of, again, if you can look off the field to stadium design to implementing fitness regimes like we've never seen before. These were all brand new concepts that in you know the, through the, the the generations of his reign and you are looking at generations of teams when you when you have a reign that that long 32 years you're going to have you know the lifespan of five six different teams there going from you know breaking through age to retirement age of a footballer's career you know it's 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 a an an, an era and a, a a legacy that has shaped more clubs than ours as well because you look at some of the great managers that have had 10 years like his like Struth you got Herbert Chapman at Arsenal as well, who of course was a great, a great friend of Bill Struth. These guys are built into legend of British football, and men like them are a rarity. Sir Alex Ferguson is quite possibly going to be the last man of that that ilk because honestly, I can't see any manager being given the time or just you know the the cutthroat nature of football these days. You just cannot see anybody building a club the way that any of these these three and there are others like them of course but anybody else building a club the way that they did Struth for us is he's everything he you know in 2019 he's still uh, he's still a guiding light for our club his his name's on the the roof of the stand and I think that his is a name and an image that we want to we want to keep living the traditions of of his era through the modern era of our club he's sewn through the fabric of everything that we are and everything that we do um, through the war as well again you're going to see a great Struth influence more so or even more so potentially off the pitch than on it with some of the the sacrifices that he makes and the things that he offers to the war effort um, yeah he's, he's just he's a one of a kind we'll, we'll never see another Bill Struth that's you know the highest compliment you can say that there will not be another man that shapes or affects our club the way that he did no, absolutely, Ian. Uh, and I think you're right, we will see those influences throughout. Uh, but of course, the football season would start and people would not know what was to lie ahead in terms of the world. And Rangers would begin the defence of their Division 1 title with a 5-1 home win against St Mirren. That would be followed up with uh, wins against their United, a draw against St Mirren. Uh, and a win against Arbroath, uh, followed by a Glasgow Cup victory against Partick Thistle, and finally a win in the league against Third Lanark by two goals to one. However, at this point, Ian, something very, very major was about to happen on the continent, which would change the lives of millions of people. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's, it changes the lives of millions of people for generations and decades and centuries to come. Um, on the 1st of September 1939, at a quarter to five in the morning, uh, Germany sorry, uh, invaded Poland. The first shots of World War II are fired and the Luftwaffe begin bombing raids on airfields and ships and troops in Poland. 
Um, Adolf Hitler himself enters the scene, stage left, and he broadcasts a declaration of war at 5.40 in the morning, where he says that the Polish state has refused the peaceful settlement of relations that I have desired and appealed to arms. In order to put an end to this lunacy, no laughing, please, um, I have no other choice than to meet force with force from now on. And in response to this, the president of Poland declares a state of emergency. So 1st of September, six o'clock in the morning, the people of, of the UK, I guess, are starting to stir from their beds to find that we are through years of rising tension in Europe. Let's be honest, the, the war has almost felt inevitable for, for some time. Our Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain has um, fought his policy of appeasement in a desperate attempt to um, talk to a despot, essentially. But here we are, 1st of September, and it looks now as if the war is uh, absolutely inevitable. Um, Neville Chamberlain himself appeared before the House of Commons at uh, 6pm on the 1st of September. And he said, it now only remains for us to set our teeth and to enter upon this struggle, which we ourselves earnestly endeavour to avoid with determination to see it through to the end. We shall enter it with a clear conscience, with the support of the Dominions and the British Empire and the moral approval of the greater part of the world. Um, so this is an acceptance, essentially, that he has failed his uh, policy of appeasement to, to try and desperately um, stop a war, to stop Adolf Hitler and his campaigns of uh, repatriating strips of land and other things that he felt that Germany had lost through the, the Versailles Treaty, because, of course, this goes all the way back to uh, even before the end of the First World War. And um, Chamberlain now is accepting that... Uh, Britain is, is going to find itself in a in a war again, James. Very sadly so, yes. Um, in terms of Scottish football, the Scottish League officially suspended its competition on the 13th of September and set up a committee to investigate the possibility of regional league competitions. These were rubber-stamped on the 26th of September after the Home Secretary, Sir John Anderson, had granted permission. There were two divisions split between Eastern and Western clubs, each containing 16 clubs, with a final between the two winners taking place at the end of the season. Six clubs would end up uh, excluded from these leagues. The first division had 20 teams and the second had 18 at the time. And those clubs would be Montrose, Brecon City, Forfar Athletic, Leith Athletic, Edinburgh City and East Stirlingshire. Big misses to the league, I'm sure you will agree. So after all of that reorganisation and working out what on earth they were going to do, on the 7th of October, Hoggy Rangers would be back playing football once again. They were. And um, what I'm not going to do is an advocate years or ache era style game by game run through. We'll be here all night. Um, let, let, let's, let's deep dive into some of the key games, James. So... Um, what I will say um, is that Ibrooks was restricted down from 80,000 as a capacity to a maximum of 40,000, unless otherwise sanctioned. Uh, and that was a that was a, a UK government-driven thing. Um, they simply didn't want to have too many people in the one place at the one time. On the 7th of October, uh, it was the first game after the war. It was a, a Glasgow Cup semi-final draw at Ibrooks in front of 15,000 people, and a 2-2 draw with Third Lanark. In the replay the week later, we would 
be missing still those key players that I mentioned earlier, the Chris uh, McNeese, etc. And but we won through, we won two one. So um, following that, we went on a, a. It was almost a. We'd had four weeks without football, and Rangers get back into it and try to click into gear. We won the opening nine league matches of the Western League, which, if I'm being honest, you look at the strength, it was the top league. Uh, but as you said, you know, there was in a championship winning, uh, a championship match at the end of the season between West and East. I should say, just in case there's any confusion, James, you mentioned Southern League and Northern League early on. Um, those come into play the following season, 1940-41, whereby the Southern League was effectively Division One. And the Northern League was effectively Division 2 because it contained Aberdeen and Sheep. And that was about it. Um, so this season, 1939-1940, was all about win your divisional title and then win the division, win, win the interdivisional playoff to be the Scottish champions. As I say, Rangers won their opening nine games. They scored 23 goals. But at the end of that, we suffered our first defeats of the season to Hamilton at Douglas Park, and Morton at Capolo. But this took, it took us up to Christmas Day. And on Christmas Day 1940, the first Christmas Day of the war, the Glasgow Cup final was played at Ibrox Park between Rangers and Queen's Park. And Rangers would line up some of the names that I talked about earlier. Jerry Dawson, Dougie Gray, Tiger Jock Shaw, Tom McKillop, Willie Woodburn, Scott Simon, Willie Waddle, Thomas Gilmore, Willie Thornton, Alex Venters, and Chris McNee, some proper names in there and not a far core between them. Um, we would secure our first silverware of the season. We won 3-1 in front of 15,000 people with goals from Thomas Gilmore, Willie Thornton and, and Chris McNee. Ian, here's a question for you. Can you imagine for a second the uncertainty of war, especially a new war, with what's still known as the Great War and millions upon millions dead in battle as opposed to genocide, still so fresh in the mind and some loved ones away to fight and it's Christmas Day. It must have been quite a comfort to have Rangers there on that day. Well, this is this is the thing. I mean, the, as you say, the Great War is just only just 20 years in, in the in the memory in the past and the scars are fresh the country is in no way really ready for another war football became so important because it was an escape from reality for the populace and that christmas christmas football those those games are just a a touch of um escapism for for anybody who is able to attend them um can you imagine it no you you just you can't place yourself in a scenario where where we're going to have to live through and thank thank god that that's the case as well i really hope that i never have to experience what it's like to uh, be going to a football game at christmas time to try and escape the reality of my country being at war fortunately by this stage i'm probably too old to be conscripted and um, so i wouldn't have to go and fight in it but hopefully touch wood um, it's not a reality that any of us are ever going to have to um, to live through to be fair, if I'm ever in charge, the pair of you are getting conscript, yeah, conscripted. Um, James, after that, that, that's obviously our first trophy of the season. 
Um, we do lose to Morton, as I made mention of just before the new year, but we go into our first Old Firm game of the season. New Year's Day, 1940. Um, and usually this would be the second league Old Firm game of the season, but you mentioned earlier that round about the fifth or sixth uh, league game, the, the league was cancelled because it coincided with the war. So the very first Old Firm game of the season, 40,000 people pitched up at Ibrooks on New Year's Day. Rangers lined up Jerry Dawson, Doogie Gray, Tiger Jock Shaw, Tom McKillop, uh, Willie Woodburn, Scott Simon, Willie Waddle, Willie Thornton, Alex Venters, David Kinnear, who was back for a, uh, a, a almost a cameo role that season, and Chris McNee. Willie Waddle scored just before half time, and Rangers were almost home and hosed, only for Malcolm McDonald, not that Malcolm McDonald from the 70s, to equalise for Celtic with a few minutes to go. Although, what we'll see is, the following month, Celtic had a manager at that point called uh, Willie Neely, who had been Celtic's manager, and you were talking earlier about length of service. He'd been Celtic's manager since 1897, 43 years and he was encouraged, in inverted commas, to retire by Celtic after an emergency board meeting. Celtic were bottom of the league. I'll go back to what I said earlier about Celtic, the excuses and the players and all the rest of it. So much for those war leagues not mattering, James. Indeed, yes. And and we will we will mention over, over the course of the series how it, it, it kind of works for for some teams in one ways and works for other teams in other ways. But yes, um, what's interesting about this season, how they've had to really rejig things, is normally around about this time, you you would have two Old Firm games a season. The first Old Firm game would take place around about the August-September time, and the second would take place on New Year's Day. That was the, the tradition. That was pretty much how it always worked. Whereas on this occasion, you have uh, an Old Firm game on New Year's Day, but then you have the second one on the 6th of April. So it might have been the first opportunity in a very, very long time, if maybe even ever, where a league title could have been decided in an Old Firm game, which I think would have been quite the novelty back then. But... After that Old Firm game, Rangers would get wins against Queen's Park and Queen of the South. Uh, they would lose at home to Motherwell, uh, but get back to winning ways with a 6-4, yes, that's right, 6-4 win against St Mirren at Love Street. Um, Alex Venters scoring a hat-trick there, Thornton getting on the, on, on the score sheet as well. You then had uh, wins against Airdrie, against... Uh, Aloha, then a draw against Aloha, and this well, in fact, at this point we're going into the Emergency War Cup, uh, so even with the Emergency War League in place, they still wanted to get a cup competition on the go uh, and it would be Aloha, the win and the draw, then a draw against Falkirk, but a win against Falkirk, uh, which would see us advance to play St Marin, who we'd beat um, as well, and then not long after that, Hoggy, we would have the other Old Firm game, which would take place on the 6th of April. Yeah, we would do it. It's worth making mention two key things, I think, that 
in terms of the war at this point, it was very much being um, fought on two real fronts. One is around, you know, uh, Poland, Germany, Soviet, uh, Finnish type borders. And the other is around uh, Argentinian and, and Uruguayan borders. Um, and it's it must have felt in the UK as if it was miles away and it wasn't affecting us yet. Um, so I, I, I do wonder what the landscape of the, the country was like at the time. But leading up to that, um, I should mention the Emergency War Cup that you mentioned was effectively the Scottish Cup. It was just rebranded for the season um, to make sure that, you know, what, what, what the authorities didn't want to do was effectively start a competition, then have to stop it and therefore stop the Scottish Cup. So they called it the Emergency War Cup. It was a Scottish Cup of that year. Some of the games were two-legged. You mentioned Alloa, you mentioned Falkirk. We got through both. St Mirren, we won through. Took us through to the Old Firm game. But before that Old Firm game, I am going to make mention of um, March the 30th, 1940, because the Old Firm game came after that in April. And on March the 30th, 1940, Rangers gained revenge against Morton for the earlier season defeat that we talked about in December. And Rangers asked Stanley Matthews of Stoke City to guest on that day. And like I said earlier, guest players were commonplace through the war years. The football associations wanted to draw people through the gates and keep the spirit of the public going effectively. And clearly tough times. Um, and on that day, a 25-year-old Stanley Matthews posted with the RAF in Blackpool and... I've covered him in our Rangers player. Another plug for that, James, if you don't mind. Um, helped Rangers to 1-0 win and nearer to that Western title. The second Old Firm game of the season saw a 2-1 win at Parkhead. Goals from Alex Venters and George Brown and defeat for the new Celtic manager, Jimmy McStay. Um, it, was, it was a big, big game for Rangers it was a big, big game for Celtic and Jimmy McStay, but it was a huge step en route to that Western Division title. Um, the following week, Rangers won through to the final of the Emergency War Cup, the Scottish Cup, with a 4-1 win over Motherwell at Hampden Park in front of 57,000 people. And I will come back to those attendances if you don't mind, James. But after that, um, really, it was about the march to silverware for Rangers. Rangers won the Western Division title on April the 27th, 1946, with what turned out to be quite a routine 5-1 procession over Queen of the South. And the Emergency War Cup, the Scottish Cup, I'll say it again, was won the following weekend, Saturday the 4th of May, 1946, with a 1-0 win over Dundee United. Rangers lined up that day at Hampden. Some slightly different players, just due to the war effort. Jerry Dawson and goals, Dougie Gray, Tiger Jock Shaw. Bobby Bolt was back from uh, from war service. Willie Woodburn, Tom McKillop, Willie Waddle, Willie Thornton. Jimmy Smith was back, Alex Venters, and the good doctor, Adam Little. As I say, a 1-0 win in front of 90,000 people at Hamden Park. And guys... 
isn't it highly interesting, James, you first, that the, the footballing and the war authorities restricted club attendances to around half of the capacity, meaning 40,000 max at Old Firm League games. Yet, on any given day, just because it was a cup final, they would allow 90,000 people to pitch up to Hamden four or five miles down the road when the SFA were keeping the gate receipts. What I think you're going to see over the course of this this series of podcasts is a level of hypocrisy that almost makes you go, well, do you know what? We should have these league titles added. We should have, because if you're going to... If you're going to accept the gate receipts like that to that extent and you're going to allow that many people at a time where, you know, the Luftwaffe are certainly targeting more the northeast of the country, but still they're targeting the country. If you're going to have that many people in there and you're happy to take the money for that, then these records should stand. So yeah, I, I think it's I think it's rather interesting as as you so well put it. Um, Ian, I'll, I'll put it out there just now. And one question I'd like to ask ourselves as we go through every single pod is, should the titles, should the games, should the goals and should the appearances be counted in the official stats? My belief of this season is absolutely. Because if you look at the squads, if you look at the players, um, they're not being massively affected yet. You know, Celtic are, are Celtic are playing effectively about 80% of the squad that played the previous season. Rangers about 75%. Um, is there any good reason why it should be struck off the record the, the record books? Absolutely not. I think we should we should definitely count them. Um, in fact, they should they should be among our most treasured uh, championship flags. Um, just because we were at war at the time, massive, um, massive thing, obviously off the park. It, that doesn't take away from the fact that we still won these championships and these um, cups, scored these goals and got these results on the pitch, um, which is something we've been keen to emphasise about other things as well. Of course, we should count them, and it, it really, it's a, a little dark spot. I think that the club don't acknowledge them a little bit more highly. Um, I would love to see, love to see them. Uh, shone on a little bit more brightly officially from the club and if that meant to have them counted on the roll of honour um, as we do with the, the Petrofat Cup and the League One in the third division um, you know if, if we can have them in our roll of honour then absolutely we should have these war, war titles included absolutely not entirely sure I would be calling it a roll of honour but there we go that, that's, that's one for another day um, but it, it is a question I'd like to ask ourselves just so we can be true to ourselves with this podcast this podcast all about the war years the war effort what Rangers meant during that time and how Rangers performed during that time so I think it's a right and proper question to be real about you know and, and, and really ask ourselves should that year be counted? And I, I'm with you guys. I, I see no reason why it shouldn't. But Rangers had two, effectively two final fronts still to, to fight on. We'd won the Glasgow Cup. We'd, we'd, we'd won the Emergency War Cup, effectively the Scottish Cup of the time. They had won the Western Division title, but now they had two trophies to go for. The Scottish League and a playoff against Falkirk, the Eastern Divisional winners. Note that it wasn't Aberdeen, it wasn't Hibs, it wasn't Hearts, it wasn't Dundee United, it was Falkirk that was up there. Um, and we also had 
the Glasgow Merchants Charity Cup final to play before the days of the League Cup and before the days of European football. Anyone that's listened to our Rangers player will probably know how important the Glasgow Cup and the Glasgow Merchants Charity Cup were to Rangers back then. Rangers would win through to the Glasgow Merchants Charity Cup final by defeating Celtic 5-1 at Ibrox in late May 1940. Um, Chris McNee was out on service. So Rangers drafted in Jimmy Caskey of Everton that we mentioned way back at the start of the pod, uh, working in Glasgow and actually on loan at St Mirren at the time. He was working in Glasgow as a wartime draftsman. And um, he was, although he was registered to Everton, he actually joined Everton in 1939, played a handful of matches and won the title with him in 1939, and then war broke out. He was one of those unfortunate souls that lost 50% of his career to the war. But he joined Rangers for one day only against Celtic. He made his guest his guest debut. He scored twice in that 5-1 win, including... 14 minutes into that guest debut and Rangers were in the final. In the final, we faced off against Clyde at Hamden Park and we drew 1-1. But as it was back in the day, it was settled by the corner kick count. Rangers simply attacking more and winning 7-2 in corners in the third trophy in the bag. The final game, guys, and the 49th game of the war-torn season. Remember, we've missed a whole month September through to uh, October. The 49th game of the season saw the Western Division champions, Rangers, play the Eastern Division champions, Falkirk, in a playoff for the right to be called the Scottish Championship title winners. The Rangers would line up at Hamden, Jerry Dawson, Dougie Gray, Jock Shaw, Tom McKillop, Willie, uh, Willie Woodburn, Scott Simon, Willie Waddle, Ian McPherson, back from war duty, Jimmy Smith, the same, Alex Venters and Dr. Adam Little. Alex Venters would open the scoring in 25 minutes. Falkirk equalised on the hour through Eddie Napier. And with five minutes to go, the aforementioned good doctor, Adam Little, won the title for Rangers. It gave Rangers a clean sweep, guys. The Western Division title and Scottish Championship winners, Glasgow Cup, Emergency War, Scottish Cup and the Glasgow Merchants Charity Cup. In terms of key players, we've had Jerry Dawson playing goals for 43 of the 49 games, a backbone of the side of Dougie Gray, Tiger Jock Shaw, Willie Woodburn, Willie Waddle, Willie Thornton, Alex Venters and Chris McNee making the most appearances. Jimmy Smith, despite only 19 games, would score 17 goals. Willie Thornton would get 28 in 41 games. And Alex Venters... 22 in 40 games. Rangers with a clean sweep and I think worthy, worthy Scottish Championship winners. There are a couple of interesting things about that um, Merchants Charity Cup game against Celtic. One, you talk about Jimmy Caskey and you talk about you know two goals in an Old Firm Cup game. Is has there ever been a better old firm debut? Actually, when you think about it, like that's as far as ways to make an impression on the range of support. I mean, if that was now, you you get in a a winger to come in and his debuts against Celtic and he scores twice. I, you'd be naming a stand after him, surely. 
Do you know, as as far as home firm debuts go, that that's a pretty special one, and therefore, um, and spoiler alert, um, episode twenty three of our Rangers player is going to be about Jimmy Caskey, um, and something called the Caskey affair when he failed to line up against Moscow Dynamo in 1945. However, we're back in 1940 at this point. He makes his debut, he scores twice. Um, it's it's a special debut. Um, and and therefore, he was well, well and fondly remembered when he signed for Rangers in 1945. In 1945, he was 29 years old. He was coming back then towards the twilight of his career. So... Those two goals did him no, uh, no no harm whatsoever. I should have mentioned, and I didn't, that Alex Venters was sent off in that fight, uh, semi-final. Did either of you boys know what he was sent off for? I do, but I want to see if Ian can guess it, and I'll give you a clue. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I, I don't know. So I'm looking forward to hearing this. I hope it's something really out of left wing. It certainly is. So... Alex Venters gets sent off in the second half because uh, Rangers were winning and winning heavily. Rangers actually went 5-0 up before Celtic pulled one back with a penalty with 10 minutes to go. Masonic refs and that. Um, Alex Venters went to retrieve the ball from behind the goals uh, right at the Broomland Road end and he was pelted with coins, bottles and several other missiles. Um, He returned to the field without the ball and the referee sent him off for not bringing the ball back. How's that for perverse justice? <laughs> and indeed, one of the other kind of interesting quirks about the way that the season's turned out is, as you mentioned, the the kind of final, the playoff final that we had at the end of this season, Rangers against Falkirk. The two teams who are at the top of the first division at the time where war, war broke out, were Rangers and Falkirk. So it actually worked out in a way that you know, it, it was meant to be. It was meant to be a straight shootout between these two sides. But Rangers, as you say, the worthy, worthy winners. We had a kind of total wins of 37, uh, eight draws and only four defeats over this 49-game season scored 122 goals and conceded only 54. So with that, along with winning basically everything in front of us, Ian, I think where the war records to be you know, recognised, this would go down as one of Rangers' greatest ever seasons. It's a great season, a great achievement to have that level of consistency. 49 matches, as you say, there's a a whole month off the calendar, essentially, after the, the war breaks out on the 3rd of September. So to play 49 matches in that period, to get that win record, to pick up the trophies and get some of the results that we did, um, yeah, it's a great achievement. It's a great achievement from, my, from a, a great team that should be should be recognised. And as you say, some of the, the guest guest players um, add a little bit of sparkle, especially the likes of Kasky and, and Matthews. But a, a great achievement by a great team. And it's a shame in some ways as well that they didn't have the chance to go and win the Premier Division as it should have been or it was before the war broke out because you know they, they could have they could have laid down a real 
mark in our history with a, a string of top division championship wins that would officially be recognised. So it's a, it's a shame that that was taken away from them as well, potentially. Mm. Celtic finished 13th in the Western League out of 16 teams that season. I'm beginning to understand why they don't want to recognise this season much, hockey, or certainly this period. It's a massive surprise, isn't it? They, they, they won nine games out of 30. Um, they actually scored 55 goals in 30 games. It's just they lost 61. 61 goals. They, 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 they lost more than two a game. Um, and I'll say it again. And for anyone that doesn't believe me, look at the teams that played against Rangers in 1938-39 and look at the team that lined up on New Year's Day against Rangers in 1939-1940. 80% of those players played the previous season so we cannot blame service uh, as, as being that because as I said earlier 75% of Rangers players pitched up as well um, Celtic simply had a stinker Celtic were on, on a down, down curve and coming to the end of I mean don't get me wrong 43 years what a, what an immense amount of time to be in charge Christ Willie Mealy started in the 1800s as manager of Celtic. And uh, I'm sure many will have their opinion on Willie Mealy, and I'm not going to share mine on this pod, if you don't mind. Um, what I will say is, massive amount of time to be in charge, but Celtic were quite clearly on the down curve and looking for any excuse under the sun. It's a very nice convenience for them, isn't it? Isn't it just? Isn't it just? And I, I guess, I guess there's some things that just stick, don't they? Um, I think it's really interesting, Hoggy, how you know we're we're seeing the name quite a lot throughout this season, and particularly in key games. Scott Simon, who would go on to be Rangers manager, of course, he'd be the man to take Bill Struth's mantle uh, as manager, not for a very long time yet, of course, but. When you talk about him as a player, I don't think there's many, unless they're real proper historians that know a great deal about him as a player. I think one of the things I'd love to know as we go along with this is to understand if this was really the period where Scott Simon was at his best as a player for Rangers. And so what kind of player was he? How influential was he? Was it maybe a surprise to you or was there anything else that would maybe caught your eye or surprised you when looking through this season and in terms of names that you'd maybe heard but hadn't quite realised were possibly as important as what they were? Um, not a lot of the names surprised me, apart from Stanley Matthews. And that that's only because I started to do the our Rangers player series. As you know, I started to do that because I found that a guy called James McRae, who guested for Rangers during World War One was the Egyptian manager and that and that's what kicked off that series of podcasts and it's been that's been an utter delight to to kind of work through different eras, different periods, different players. So I've studied a lot about the, the this this wartime James and doesn't surprise me at all because I have studied it that Scott Simon plays all the way through. Um, he's a mainstay of the side. Other guys are too, like Dougie Gray and Jock Shaw and Jerry Dawson and you know, so all the guys that we've mentioned. Um, 
what I what I really look forward to doing over the next few episodes is maybe deep diving into these guys. Uh, maybe not as much as we do in our Rangers player, but deep diving into what they were doing at the time, what their career was like, what they went on to do in later years, and we're going to have some real fun with that because th- this team, a lot of them stay together. They've all got full-time jobs, full-time war effort jobs outside of playing for Rangers. You know, they're as I said earlier, they're working in munis- uh, munitions factories or working in the shipyards or working in as draftsmen. They're working all over. Um, some of them are on active service and will come and go, and we'll talk about that. But, you know, the, these guys, uh, Scott Simon, Willie Waddle, um, Willie Thornton we talked about, Willie Woodburn, who obviously goes on and becomes infamous and, you know, the last player to be sin-died atrociously, frankly, in Scotland. Um, names that pop up throughout Rangers history and should be utterly iconic and probably by and large aren't and I think this is the type of pod that makes it important that we change that 100% and that, that is certainly I hope going forward that we can paint that picture and maybe by the end a lot of us will be able to recognise this period a lot more and those players who would make us so successful in this period. But in the next episode of The War Years, we will be looking at season 1940-41, where it would change from a Western League to a Southern League. The Emergency War League would change. We would have different opponents to face, and they would be tougher games. But once again, we would be just as successful. My thanks to the wonderful, wonderful research of both of my colleagues this evening. First of all, Mr Ian McLennan. Thank you both very much for joining me. I hope the people listening have enjoyed it and they'll they'll join us for the, the rest of the shows that are coming up as well. My thanks to Mr Ian Hogg. The, the games, the trophies, the period and the players that we're going to talk about, James, uh, and, and I'm aware I'm getting a bit preachy, are massively important to Rangers and Rangers history and as you know I talk about it all the time in our Rangers player I, I feel that bringing our history alive and keeping it alive is is so very important because if we don't do it who else is going to and this period this first year of the war is exceptionally important Rangers are terrific uh, against opposition who have lost as many players as we have we're terrific, and we clean sweep the board. Who in the right mind would want to erase that from our history? No, no true Rangers fan, in my opinion. My name is James Forrest. Thank you all very much for listening, and we'll be back with episode two of the War Years at some point soon. Thank you very much for listening. That was a Heart and Hand production. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.